0: Hey, everybody. Neil Thompson here. I want to let you know about the Teach the Geek to Speak Society. What is it? Glad you asked. It's a monthly membership whereby you get access to my public speaking course, Teach the Geek to Speak. You also get access to a private Facebook group and monthly Zoom calls. Get ongoing support in your efforts to improve your public speaking. To learn more about the membership, click on the link in the show notes. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program.
1: Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson.
0: Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. Consider checking out the monthly membership called Teach the Geek to Speak Society. If you want help in your, I guess, ongoing help in your public speaking journey, you can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Gaitri Shukla. I think I got that right. (laughs) I practiced a couple of times. After working in the energy industry, she took the leap and went full-time. With her business, Campfire Kinship, Campfire Kinship offers workshops on leadership, diversity and inclusion, and wellness. Guy Three is also a speaker. Her topics range from storytelling to steam. I'm I'm really interested to learn more about her business, the motivation to become an entrepreneur, and her speaking topics. Welcome to Teach the Geek interviews, Guy Three.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Neil.
0: It's great to be here. So, from the bit of research I did on you, I saw that you got your degree in electrical engineering. What was the motivation to get that degree?
1: Yes, electrical engineering. Oh, gosh, um, this is going way back. So I come from a family um, that really values education. And I guess that won't come as a surprise. You know, I think it's common in quite a few immigrant families. be immigrated to Canada when I was about 15 years old, where the, the value of education is highly prized. And Um, And not just any degree, right? I think uh, fields like engineering especially are highly coveted. And my dad was an engineer, so it just went by default. Uh, I ended up following in his footsteps. And I did okay in math and science in high school. So it seemed like a, a natural enough choice. And so that's, it's not a tale of passion, but more of a tale of practicality, I guess is how I ended up in electrical engineering. But uh, I I did find myself, you know, starting to love the profession as I went through the journey of university and starting my first job and
0: all of that. So if you would have came home and told your dad, actually, I want to switch my major to English, would that have been a problem?
1: That would have definitely been a problem. (laughs) 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 But here I am, though, 17 years later, telling my parents, like, hey, I'm doing what I want now. I'm starting my own business. (laughs) You they know. don't have anything to say. They're like, do what you want.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know what, what? You know what? Your, your story is kind of similar to mine. So I also come from an immigrant family and my father also pushed the, the idea of education. I ended up studying educa- uh, engineering because he said to do so. But he wasn't. But, uh, unlike your father, my father was not an engineer. He was. He never studied engineering before in his life. and But he still said, do engineering. I said. Okay, I didn't have any other ideas to do. I mean, if I was graduating high school, I knew he was going to be insistent on going to college but, or university, but I didn't, I, I mean, I, I didn't have any idea of what I was going to do, but so when he said engineering, I said, okay, I got, I got no plan B, wow. so plan, plan A it is engineering. There you go. And, 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 and so it worked you're, out you're,
1: too. You're a trailblazer in your family, right?
0: <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. I'm looking at it yeah. back that from now on. Thank you for that. <laughs> but I also saw that you got uh, an MBA. Was that your idea? Was uh, Did your dad say do an MBA too?
1: That uh, fortunately wasn't my dad's idea. It was my, my idea. But I, I'll tell you at the time, I thought it was a crazy idea because I was doing that while I was working full time. And I have two kids under the age of seven at the time. So it was definitely a crazy period of my life. But what spurred that on was uh, I had entered into leadership roles and I had kind of pivoted a little bit from being in a technical engineering track into more of the project management, business management track. And I just wanted to round out my knowledge on business topics. So I, I thought it would be a great idea. and So I jumped right in and, and took the degree and yeah, I don't know how I got through it because it was definitely crazy trying to manage all of that. But uh, I have to say, I think a lot of my motivation to start
0: my own business did come from that MBA as well. Okay. So, you, as you mentioned, you were on a technical track and then you went more on a project management track. Is that something that you had planned for yourself or just kind of the way things happened?
1: It was the way things happened, Neil. It's um, this one. My job was given away to someone else and I. Couldn't get it back when I got back. <laughs> for after a, a year of, then uh, uh, there were two ways to look at it. I could be pissed off that I didn't get my job back, and it was a job that I loved because I was actually uh, the role I had just left was I was leading a seventeen billion dollar project scope for uh, the automation engineering, which is my background, and uh, it was such a cool job. But when I came back from Matley, wasn't available to me anymore. So. Um, the decision that was presented to me was do you want to stay technical or do you want to try out a project management track and I said you know what why not this kind of rounds out my experience as well so that's how I ended up pivoting into that track
0: gotcha so now you're, you're working as I mentioned you worked in the industry in the energy industry for quite some time then you started Campfire Kinship your business while you were still working in corporate what gave you the I guess the motivation to to leave corporate behind and, and go in full-time with Campfire Kitchen? Yeah, that, a great question. You know, I, I
1: believe that entrepreneurship is something that um, it's almost like a calling that you get to a point in your life where you want to answer. It's a problem that you see or an opportunity out in the world, not necessarily in a problem that you had created, but something that you see where you want to try and answer Right, and, and, and try to bring solutions. And for me, the problem or the gap that I saw was um, with respect to inclusion and diversity. I, I really saw this gap around really trying to engage diverse talent in the work, workforce. And despite all good intentions, right, despite um, training like anti bias, anti racism training, or you know, policies and programs designed to engage and retain diverse staff, there was still a gap there was still a gap because I saw a lot of great people leaving. Uh, You know, I saw kind of same systemic problems continuing to happen. And the reasoning behind Campfire Kinship was I I really wanted to just create a space where we could celebrate diversity and actually do (laughs) and show how diversity needs to be uh, celebrated and not just talk about it, right? And So I thought storytelling is such a wonderful way to invoke that natural curiosity about one another. And it doesn't um, come at it from an aspect of like, I have to teach you how to be, you know, someone who's not biased. I have to teach you or tell you what to do. I have to assign quotas. This is just a natural way to learn about someone and get curious about their background and their journey and, and start to appreciate the strengths that they bring and actually then leverage the strengths that they bring, which I think just makes a team stronger. So that's that was the inspiration behind Camper Kinship because I, I really just wanted to create a space where we could share these stories and uh, start to appreciate diversity. So I started doing that as a hobby while I was working in corporate. Um, I honestly was just, I started an Instagram page and I was sharing stories of friends and family or of people in different professions. And uh, it turned just serendipitously into something more beautiful and larger than that. And it reached a point where I I had to kind of pick a path um, where either I stay in my full-time job or I start to uh, pursue this full-time. And I think I've been lucky and fortunate to see how this has grown so organically. And um, just, you know, I'm able to pursue that now full-time. So
0: Nice. What did you learn as an employee that now informs your work as an entrepreneur?
1: Oh, wow. You know, lots of things. I would say sort of the biggest learning has been, I I get the challenges. I get that sometimes it's easy to just talk about why inclusion and diversity is important, but it's so hard to do. And I get the real challenges when you're an employee or or when you're running a business is, you, you've got to run your business, right? You've got to make sure the company makes money. At the end of the day, that's how you're going to pay your employees. Right. And so there's a real balance that needs to be struck between attracting and retaining diverse talent, which is absolutely critical for your business. But at the same time, how can you do it in a way where everybody feels a sense of belonging, feels a sense of purpose in, in their jobs and feel motivated and engaged to, to work together and not necessarily forced to do something that they haven't yet bought into, right? So I think it's so important to strike that balance. And I think being in the industry for 17, 18 years, I, qu- I quite get that. And I also get the more the analytical side of it because I'm an engineer and I think about things analytically and from a risk perspective. And then here as an entrepreneur, I get to infuse that creativity through storytelling and things like that. So,
0: so if somebody was to ask ask you, what is Campfire Kinship? what would your answer be? And and also, I'm curious to find out what has the people's reaction to Campfire Kinship been? Yeah,
1: so my vision for Campfire Kinship is a world that celebrates its diversity and shared humanity. So Campfire Kinship is, you can think of it as a digital hearth, where stories of purpose and belonging are celebrated, where we can appreciate what makes each of us unique, while also remembering our shared humanity. Because I think that's going to be the key to uniting people, um, to being able to learn from each other, to listen to each other and harness our diversity. So I think the world in general has so many problems, right? We don't even need to talk about it. But COVID is just one example of how complex and global our problems are. Climate change is another one. And I think people have to be able to come together and innovate to solve these complex problems. And you can't do that unless you actually have a common vision and, and, and start to really appreciate the strengths that diverse diversity in general brings. And so that would be sort of that my vision for campfire kinship and what I've started to do now is offer workshops for folks, as you mentioned earlier, Neil, of. You know, how, um, you know, within teams at workplaces where people can start to really understand a little bit more about what makes a person tick, what their strengths are through storytelling. And so all my workshops are based in a a certified methodology that I've trained in called guided autobiography, uh, where I help folks remember sort of the key moments in their life and help them articulate their story and then share that within small groups. So I teach things like, you know, how to practice active listening, how to validate someone for their experience, even if it's different from our, from yours, right? Um, And it's been, the reaction has been wonderful so far. um, Someone actually told me the other day that uh, what they think I offer is an innovation in the inclusion and diversity space, because it focuses on the relationship. And it's a transformation in relationships because literally it just creates sort of that emotional experience where someone has to suspend their, either their beliefs or biases or judgments that they had about another person of a different race or a different background or whatever it is and kind of go, huh, huh, I actually share a lot of things in common with this person. They're, you know, they're human just like me and I'm not afraid about all of these perceived differences anymore. And so, I've been so blessed to be able to create that sort of experience for folks, and to just hear that feedback is absolutely affirming that this is the way to go in the future for this type of
0: work. So, you know, when you, when you were talking, guy three, it made me re- it made me think about storytelling. I mean, it seems to be you, and you mentioned it a number of times now, and uh, the importance of storytelling in the work that you do. How'd you come a- How'd you come about using storytelling, especially? Coming from a, such a technical industry like energy? Yeah, it's
1: actually, I kind of stumbled upon it by accident. Neil. I, I didn't realize this, but I've been a storyteller all my life. I, I joked about it earlier, but English was one of my favorite subjects in high school. Uh, And I used to write a lot. I used to participate in writing competitions. I used to actually win a couple of writing essay competitions. And then I'd also journal a lot because I myself have my own lived experience around challenges with this inclusion and diversity, right? And I could start to see looking back sort of the strengths that lived inside me just by me writing my stories. And so I just naturally was someone that gravitated to the idea of storytelling. And then interestingly enough in my MBA I specialized in social impact and I came across a whole body of research around how storytelling and in particular something that's called human-centered design can really unlock innovation because it taps into the lived experiences of the community right and so I think when you start to understand the pain points and the lived experiences of your stakeholders then you can start to really design solutions that work rather than assuming what their problems are and coming from a a top-down only approach. And so after the MBA, I ended up taking on a role at my corporate job that involved human-centered design. So I was working on digital transformation programs and uh, I had to literally do storytelling, right? I had to talk to people on the front lines to understand what their problems were and then how we could take those stories and those lived experiences and those insights and design solutions around it. So it just kind of reinforced for me both by way of my own passion and my experience professionally, that this was the way to go and uh, just naturally led to this path that I'm on now.
0: Wow. Imagine that. So you're in school, You, I just, I just happened to just me- mention studying English instead, but it turns out you were always good in English anyway, but you couldn't <laughs> study it in school though. <laughs>
1: I actually ended up taking an advanced, it uh, called an IB. It's called International Baccalaureate, but it was like an advanced high school program in English. Okay. <laughs> believe it or not. So. Yeah.
0: Okay. You, can you know. went to your dad and been like, "Look, man, I'm really good at this English. Can can I, can I study that instead?" I was like, no, no. I don't care what your science and math grades are. <laughs> You're doing engineering. <laughs> i <I'll> come back <laughs> to this house.
1: It's yeah. a problem. <laughs>
0: We moved oh, this country to do no damage. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you, you've heard all of those, right? And like, I didn't just move here, make all of these sacrifices for you to go, you know, um, while away your life. I, I mean, you <laughs> wouldn't put in those terms. I think there's still an appreciation for all education and education in general. Like, I think yeah. the goal was don't be a college dropout. <laughs> and then or the yeah. next goal was like, okay, do something where you can get a a job that pays well.
0: (laughs) Right. Stable, stable job. That's that's, that's the, uh, that's the credo before for all immigrant families, I think. Yeah. English is good enough for others. Just, just not you. (laughs) 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 So when it comes to to campfire kinship, do you work with particular companies or is it more, I guess, uh, company agnostic?
1: It is company agnostic. It's uh, actually quite uh, sectorally, cross cross sectoral, I'd say, from an industry standpoint. So I've worked with universities at this point. Um, you know, I've, for example, I've brought storytelling workshops for universities around the the racial equity piece. That's just an example. I've also worked with nonprofits. Um, just two, three, three weeks ago, I ran a storytelling workshop for Calgary Pride, which is um, celebrating diversity, sexual orientation diversity and gender expression and those things. And so I do work with nonprofits as well. And then I've started to work with companies now that I've left my corporate role. uh, It's kind of opened up my capacity to actually be able to walk into uh, companies and and do this for their team building sort of events. And then I also help on the private coaching side. I also do help individuals who maybe feel like they don't yet, um, that they have a voice, but they don't yet know how they can communicate their story with impact. Um, because their voice hasn't been heard for whatever reason in in the past. And so I do work a little bit with um, individuals privately as well to to coach them on their story.
0: Gotcha. So now with the work you do, obviously, if you're going into companies and and presenting on the importance of of storytelling, and as I mentioned in the intro, diversity, and inclusion, wellness, a number of different topics, you have to be adept at, at communicating with these people is, is, presenting in front of others something you've always been good at and if not what did you do to get better at it yeah i uh,
1: i so i don't hate i hate to stereotype right but i would say i was your typical nerdy engineer when i first started my career i it was of uh, the mindset that you know just put your head down and get your work done you know don't don't be out socializing or networking or doing all of this stuff and i've had to learn over time you Neil, know, that uh that mantra of just putting your head down, getting the work done actually isn't doing you any favors, right? Like you have to be able to communicate the, not just the value of what you do, but the importance of what you do and how that adds up to the bigger picture uh, and why people need to get behind it. And I think because I've worked in leadership roles, that's something that I've had to learn. Um, I would say it didn't come to me naturally. Like I I am an introvert. (laughs) So my natural instinct isn't to be out networking and doing things. Uh, like this, but I, I've had to learn it through through experience, right? And I think also one thing that really helped me was I joined Toastmasters um, about kind of midway through my career. And I think that was such a great way to just sort of break out of my shell and start practicing public speaking and, and you know, giving keynotes and things like that at that Toastmasters group just opened up my own capacity to do that at work. In presentations and town halls, and I would present from all ranges of audiences—from big, massive town halls to, you know, thousand employees to uh, executives in a boardroom—and so that really forced me to to grow my public speaking
0: skills. No, well, hopefully, unlike myself, you realize the importance of presenting in front of people earlier than later. It was something that, at least when I first started out working as an engineer, I I, I didn't care about. It was only until I, I worked my second job and I had to give presentations in front of management. And that was just something I had to do. It wasn't something I could avoid. And those first few presentations, guys, were absolutely horrendous. I mean, it, it, the, 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 I didn't know the human body could sweat that profusely. I, just, <laughs> just just thinking about, it, just, it was like, I just came out the shower. It was gross. It was ridiculous. But I know the other engineers weren't all that much better than, at it than I was. So I didn't feel so bad about it, but I certainly got the message. You know, this is something that I should probably get, get better at. I'm, I'm tired of, of sweating through my clothes. But not just that. You then see people that get promoted and you think, that guy's an idiot. How the hell did he get that promotion? But <laughs> he was really good at, at talking to people and especially decision yes. makers. And, you know, when you, when you become adept at, at communicating with the people that can affect your career, well, good things happen to you. And if you're not yes. good at that, then you're that engineer sitting in their cubicle mad because – this other guy or other woman got the promotion that you thought you deserved. So I, I definitely yeah, got like, the message eventually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can so relate to that though, deal. because I, I don't know about where you went to school, but it, for in our program at university, there wasn't any courses related to public speaking or anything like that. I think there was a one technical writing course and that's all I remember from anything related to communication. So it's, it has been something that I find is a gap for engineering students in general Hopefully that has changed now over time in the curriculum and that, but it doesn't necessarily equip you for the workforce, right? When you, when you first start, you're just, your mind is still thinking about all of the technical things that you learn, but not necessarily
0: the soft skills as much. Absolutely. So when it comes to the presentations that you do, do you have a process for putting them together? And if so, what is it?
1: I, so I always start with what's in it for them. And I build out an outline of what the content should look like based on what's in it for them. I think that's one of the lessons that I've had to learn over time where being a technical person, I I should mention, I spent probably the first half of my career in field hands-on industrial roles. So I would be the one wearing my coveralls and hard hat and, and, you know, steel-toed boots out in the field. And all I'd be looking at is things like, you know, why isn't this pump working or, how do you get this compressor started up again? And my mind was always filled with all of those technical details. And I would end up resorting to communicating by describing all the details of everything that happened to this pump or compressor or whatever. And I would lose people, right? Like, (laughs) because most of these people that I was communicating to were were not electrical. I think people find electrical in in particular hard (laughs) because it's all electrons and stuff that you can't see. And so I would just watched them completely lost and their eyes sort of glaze over. So I was realizing that, okay, I'm doing something wrong. And so I switched it up by thinking about what is it that they want to hear and they want to know, and they need to make a decision on, and then work sort of backwards from there to say, okay, here's going to be the rough outline of what I need to describe to them. Uh, if it's in this case of this solving this problem, it's, you know, here's the problem, here are the options, here's my recommendation, need your feedback. And so it, it really became sort of like what's in it for them, which has helped me out so far.
0: You know, that, that was smart of you to eventually come to that realization guy. through. You don't want the head of the business in an audience that you're talking to with eyes glazing over it. I don't think that's going to bode go well for your career at all at that company anyway. When it comes to presenting, do you ever get nervous? And if so, what do you do to calm your nerves? Uh, practice, practice, practice. I, I yeah I
1: can't stress that enough and sometimes I've fallen into the trap myself of thinking that I'm just gonna wing it right (laughs) and then I find myself tripping over myself and especially depending on the audience right if there's going to be sort of a lot of expectation on being able to answer questions than that uh, it's not gone well for me when I haven't prepared and so uh, what I like to do and this is advice that I need to follow my own advice sometimes because I don't always I'm not always good at diligently practicing but uh what I do is I just I at least try to go over it rehearse it uh, with myself uh, once or twice before I go into a setting like that and that's that's so far been something
0: that's helped me wow the idea of winging it is just so foolish guy three I don't know why you would even <laughs> think they could do something like that my god well I mean, you know what I have a friend and he makes fun of me for the fact that I practice my presentations before I give them. And he doesn't, he just guts up there and he wings it. And guess what? (laughs) It shows. It shows. shows. Absolutely Absolutely does. I mean, he thinks he's the best presenter, but I would never (laughs) tell him because it would just kill his ego. (laughs) Get up there and just start talking a bunch of ums, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of so. You know, I, I, I always noticed, when people end their sentences with "so," it's like come yeah. on, always wait for the next the next word, but it never comes. They just go on to the next sentence. I was like, "What? what so what?" The, the, what yeah. with so? <laughs> but if you practice, what's help, really, what's really helpful with practicing is you start to notice those filler words, and you get better yes. at eliminating them. So all of those you exactly. know, so like 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 like, and then the ums, like you get rid of those the more you practice and i'm a big so i'm a big fan of practicing so i i commend you for eventually seeing the the benefit of practicing your presentations before you give them this has been really interesting talking to you Gayatri thank you so much for being a guest how can people get in touch with you
1: thank you neil it's been awesome having this chat with you and uh, <laughs> a lot of fun reflecting on some of the, the past foibles i'll call it Through my career and hopefully some of these advices that I've shared is helpful for folks. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can definitely visit my website, which is www.campfirekinship.com. I also have an Instagram page, as I mentioned, where I share the stories of what I like to call everyday role models. So I'm certainly happy to feature anyone who's interested on my page um, I've just started a podcast, Neil, so I'm, I'm still on a learning curve on that. I might need to hit you up for advice sometime about podcasting. And my hope there is also to just shine light on these everyday role models through these different mediums and, and celebrate diversity through storytelling. So, yeah, that would be um, the way to get in touch with me. And I'm happy to
0: chat further with anybody that would like to. Wonderful. Well, everybody, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for, for science and engineering professionals. Consider checking out Teach the Geek to Speak. It's a monthly membership where people get help or ongoing support in their public speaking journey. You can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Guy 3. Thank you, Neil. well everyone that marks another episode in the can I hope you enjoyed it if you like these episodes and want to support teach the geek please subscribe share and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms on all of them also if you prefer to watch the episodes head on over to the youtube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. until next time